0: But I think like that initial one to three year land grab of building this like big e-com, big trial driving brand online has really helped us propel into retail. Welcome to Bite-sized. Um,
1: this is, it's actually a really important milestone in my Bite-sized career. Because when I, when I was thinking about starting a podcast, I, I wrote an aspirational list of who I'd want to get on the podcast. And I was like, these these guys are heavy hitters in the world of of e-commerce, DTC, brand building. Um, Nick, your name was number one on that list. Um, and I don't say that Appreciate to every it. guest. So it's an absolute honor and a pleasure um to have to have you on the podcast. I'm a I'm a huge, huge fan of Trough. I'm a consumer of Trough. We were just talking about this before we start started recording. I don't know what the food tastes like. I just know what trough sauce uh, tastes like at this point, and I wouldn't have it any other way. so
0: um thank you so much for coming on, Nick. Pleasure to have you. thank you so much. It's an honor to to be a part of this and congrats on starting something epic and you know happy to to share so appreciate you, man. so um for
1: anyone who doesn't know you and uh, kind of what you're up to, give us your give us your two minute kind of career story where it started and Um, and where you are now. Yeah.
0: So I grew up in Southern California, uh, Chino Hills, California to be specific. Um, not too much going on out there, but a couple, I guess, more recent notable things like the ball brothers and like the whole ball family that kind of took the internet by storm. Um, they actually are from Chino Hills. They went to my high school. I remember my dad was always telling me, Oh, like you got to check out, you know, the Ball Brothers. These guys are crazy. They're going to go to the NBA one day. Uh, But grew up in Chino Hills. And I think from a very young age, I was always into making things or building things or figuring out ways to make money. Uh, You know, I remember being 12 and asking my parents, Hey, can we like do a garage sale? Because I used to see like the signs on the, the uh, Poles just driving around my neighborhood and I always ask my parents, like, what's a, what's a yard sale? What's a garage sale? And they would always tell me, oh, like, people take things and they put it on their lawn and they sell it and they make money. And I was like, I want to do that. So I remember, like, just going around my parents' house, finding random shit, like, taking a pot off the, off one of my mom's, like, shelves and be like, oh, we're going to sell this. And she's like, no, we're not. <laughs> and then I would, like, hit up all my family members. Uh, and asked them like, "Hey, do you have any things I could sell at these yard sales that I was doing at my parents' house?" And that eventually led me to finding out this world of com and finding out about eBay. And I was like obsessed with eBay at a very young age. Um, uh, I remember you know being like 14, 15 years old, setting up an eBay account and bugging well, you know, all my family members, "Hey, can I sell you know your old stuff on eBay? I'll take 20% commission of whatever I sell, and I'll handle all the shipping and stuff." And they didn't, uh, you know, I ended up getting my first job at a a golf course when I was 15 and a half. And I found a bunch of little hustles at the golf course. One of them was getting the head covers that people would leave on the golf course. Um, They would place them in like lost and found. I started going around to all the golf courses in my neighborhood um, in Chino Hills and purchasing like the lost and found golf head covers, cleaning them up and selling them on eBay. And I built this like really cool golf club head covers for you, eBay business. Um, And I had this cool little thing going and buy the covers for like a dollar and I'd sell them for like five to 20. And I had this cool little hustle. Uh, And, you know, over the years, I've always kind of dabbled in, in different things. Um, And then, you know, as I kind of um, got further into my high school career, I was always playing around with, different little side hustles, whether it was continuing to do things online, like I had a cell phone case business and a rechargeable cell phone case business. And, uh, eventually kind of got into college and I was still dabbling. Um, and I've started to kind of figure out who I could surround myself with that kind of shared a similar vision. And that's when I met my current co-founder, Nick, uh, we went to Cal State Florida together and. That's kind of when like the very early stages of the, the Trump story started.
1: Amazing. Amazing. so you had about ten careers and businesses before you started Trump. <laughs>
0: from the age of like really. There was early, a lot of the, lot of random lot of random shit over the last yeah, 10 years probably. It it teaches you a lot, right?
1: Your your first you're first going into like selling something, understanding profit, understanding reinvestment. So it's it's funny. You know, it's, it, you're not thinking that at the time necessarily, but those lessons are actually the foundational lessons of building a business.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm glad you kind of mentioned that because one of the like my little projects that I want to do is kind of like, you know, build my own like personal website, but have it be kind of like a timeline ever since I was, you know, 12, 13, 14, whatever of all of the projects that I've built and started and failed and succeeded in and right Key bullet points of things that I kind of learned within each of these little cycles or times of my life, and just seeing how you know problems, whether they're big or small, they either continue to evolve or realize that hey, you know, when I was when I was knocking on doors to mow people's lawn when I was thirteen, it actually helped me develop a skill that I used when I was cold calling people when I was a technical recruiter at twenty six. So you really start to like understand that you're painting this picture of how your career could look in the next five to ten years based on these little things that you don't realize are actually helping with developing a certain type of skill
1: yeah a hundred percent i actually posted about that on linkedin the other day I, I worked a um i went to music college i used to do shifts at a tele sales company trying to sell double glazed window appointments oh I got and <laughs> it, it, out, and it's like just the type of person I am. Like I wanted to be the best, and like you know, when I'm when I was doing it, I was just trying to earn some money to go out on the weekend with my mates and buy my at the time Burberry shirts and stuff like this. But like in hindsight, it, t- it taught me so much around objection handling. Um, you know, dealing with rejection. Like so, t- exactly to your point. You know, you 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 realize when you look back that these things actually set you up, and the lessons are things you can kind of like take forward with you. Um, so going back to, you know, your, your story, what was the, you know, so you met Nick, um, your co-founder, current co-founder. What was the initial motivation for starting Troth? Yeah. So
0: at about like 2013, 2014, um, we were going to college at State Fullerton and he was kind of like doing his own thing. I actually met him through his sister. One of my best friends was in his sister's friend group, and she kind of always heard me talking about these different crazy ideas and little businesses I had. She was like, hey, you should talk to my brother, Nick. He's just like me. He's got this cool powdered beverage brand that he's working on in college. Um, you guys should just you know, jam out on this kind of stuff. So she introduced me. We obviously hit it off right away. We start talking about all kinds of stuff. He's talking about his projects. I was talking about mine. We were thousand ideas giving each other feedback and this was about the time where like the early days of ig were really starting to take off uh it was becoming very relevant where a cpg brand would use instagram as a platform to growth hack a brand to generate revenue to build uh, a lot of econ momentum so we kind of were on the sidelines of like the skinny tea and like the shreds of the world, and a lot of these brands that were just hockey sticking off of leveraging influencers and creating these like growth hacks on social media and the early stages of Facebook advertising and we just saw like, hey, we don't know what we're going to do with this, but we kind of see this opportunity, and we see this white space uh. And I was like obsessed with social media. I was obsessed with like growth hacking. And I was obsessed with scooping up these Instagram accounts. And that was one of my little hacks was like trying to get these OG names on Instagram, kind of like the domain name, you know, the domain name days when people were trying to get water.com or whatever it might be. So I happened to get the word sauce, just S-A-U-C-E. And... I told Nick, I was like, dude, I just got sauce on IG. This is crazy. Like, let's do something with it. So we just start creating this cool account and we start posting content that we thought was cool. We're posting like rappers with food and pretty women with food and food porn with burgers and yolk dripping off the side and just cool, dope, saucy, like this food pop culture kind of vibe anything that we felt was like saucy that defied what the word sauce to us meant. And we started to amass this following and like some celebrities started following us and it was turning into this thing. We had a couple viral posts and we're like, this is kind of cool. Like what else can we do with this? Let's, let's take it a step further. Let's build this into something. So we're like, let's make a sauce. At the time, no, we'd seen these brands, kind of use Instagram as a channel to not only connect with their consumers but build communities and build, you know, an e-com business and sell product, etc. So for us, we're like, okay, you count sauce. Let's make a sauce. What kind of a sauce are we gonna make? So we looked at like barbecue sauces and dressings and hot sauces. And hot sauce to us was the most interesting. Um First off, because we liked hot sauce. We'd used hot sauce. We thought it was very relevant in pop culture. We saw like Beyonce talking about having hot sauce in her bag. Uh and, and the category also was on fire. Uh so we saw there was a, a big opportunity and we didn't see any like cool lifestyle Siroc esque hot sauce that existed. Nobody had done like the top shelf, the Dom Perignon of hot sauce. And none of these brands were even on social media yet, uh, they were all legacy brands that were playing by kind of the old playbook of, Hey, let's just get all the store and retail, play that whole game from the start. And for us, it was like, no, let's like create this amazing community. Let's create this really cool brand. Let's go all in on being a digitally native direct to consumer hot sauce brand first, and then down the road, we'll kind of do the traditional, more conventional approach. Uh, so for we're like, okay, let's really make a brand and a product that would be ready for the world to see. We didn't just want to like take a bottle off the shelf, put some liquid in it and get a label and slap it on and say luxury hot sauce, right? Buy this stuff. Like, no, we want a product, true integrity. We want a product that we can really get behind. We want something that when somebody sees it, and holds it in their hand. They're gonna to want to post it on Instagram. They're gonna to want to tell their friends about. They're gonna to want to buy it for their mom for Mother's Day. They're gonna to want to stand on the corner and yell to the world about how amazing they think this is. Yeah, it's a, you mentioned.
1: You mentioned two really important things that, like, I, I, I've done a couple of these podcasts up now, well, a few of them. And you know, a, a question I like to ask is, you know, what's the what's the biggest thing you can do to impact like customer loyalty? And every single person says have a really good product, and it's it's really you know as much as trust. It it the product came after this IG kind of like um you know IG name. I I, I just really like the fact that you were really intentional from the get go, of like it needs to be something people want to post. It needs to be something that feels luxury and is backed up by an actually good product. Um, that like intentionality into. The brand at the very beginning uh, not to say i don't think i don't think every brand does that right i think sometimes it's like what's my mvp product that i can maybe make feel a certain way but um you know you're almost shoehorning it in from like a narrative perspective versus what you're saying is like well from day one like it has to have this it has to have that that look and feel where people cause then, out the gates, you get that kind of digital word of mouth. You get that feeling of brand loyalty, kind of
0: community feel from the very beginning. 100%. Yeah, we were very product obsessed from the beginning. And I think it made it a little bit more difficult from the beginning. I mean, like just looking at our product, right? It's like we have a custom tropical inspired cap, we have custom glass that is trop embossed. It's very thick, it feels luxury. You can sit on the shelf at Meeman Marcus. The label is, you know, this soft touch matte with a gold foil that when the sun hits it, it kind of hits you the eye, right? And then when you open it, you smell the product and you can feel the sensation. And when you pour it, it's like a liquid silk type of consistency. It's not a, a watery type of vinegar that you're flooding on your food. So the whole experience we kind of like daydreamed about of how we would want to reverse engineer like the perfect top shelf experience that people would enjoy yeah 100 percent. and i'll back that up
1: by the fact that you did a custom bottle with a skull uh cut yeah the look top is flat yeah dude yeah, that's, that's on that's on a, that's on one of my shelves in my living room yeah. i've got one of them on my shelves on my living room like, yeah. it's, it's like It's like a, like a fucking ornament or something, you know? It, yeah, it yeah. sits next to a picture of my daughter. Um, another really interesting point you you mentioned is like being digitally native from day one. And like, you know, I look at the ecosystem and it's like DTC became like a business model, right? Like, and I think, you know, in CPG, I think it's been a bit different, um, you know, because of the retail opportunity and everything else. But, you know, macro level, DTC became the business model, and I think that shifted. Um, You mentioned that you started out, you know, DTC digitally native, and it was a conscious decision to then go into retail. Like, what drove that decision? In hindsight, was it the right decision? And what's the focus now?
0: Absolutely. So, looking back, the timing and our approach to how we launched the brand, I would say was, Remarkable in a sense, we couldn't start Truff the way we did five years ago today. It just wouldn't work. Um, the timing of the market, like, uh, a sexy digitally native hot sauce didn't exist, A uh, luxury hot sauce brand didn't exist, uh, Facebook ads and Google ads and all those things are a lot more effective five years ago than they were today. Especially for a, a product that's only $18. Uh, so I think we were able to build a strong connection and build a big community and create uh, a lot of cult customers early on through those initial years of direct to consumer focus. I would say our first like two and a half to three years were like. D to C, D to C, Ecom, Ecom, ECOP. And then we started to realize like, hey, there's actually uh a bigger opportunity to get product into masses with this more conventional approach. So how do we edit this kind of like direct to consumer blinder lens into something that's more attainable or now you can get it in Kroger or, you know, any of the other we're on about twenty thousand retail doors now. uh and retail now makes up you know, 80% of our business. Uh, but I think those early years were extremely important. Um, building awareness, but also driving trial, getting product into people's mouths, getting them that one-to-one experience. And, you know, those customers might who have bought from us on those early days go into Whole Foods or go into wherever they shop at the grocery store and see it on the shelf. And uh, now our our distribution is a lot greater than, um, it was in those early years. But I think like that initial one to three year land grab of building this like big e-com, um, big trial driving brand online has really helped us propel into retail because now when people see it, it's like, oh, we saw one of their crazy ads back in 2000. You know, 18, we saw the on over the list in 2019. We saw them being their best seller on Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of this digital stuff that we did, oh, well, they helped us build our business, but it helped us with our retail success as we became wider with our distribution footprint. Yeah. That make, yeah. That makes total sense. Um,
1: to, I guess two two things from that. To your point. The way you launched Truff probably isn't possible in the same way now. This is probably a really hard question and pointless for you because you don't have to do it. But for anyone listening who's like, well, I've got this dope product. You know, I guess because a lot of us who have built brands have been in e-commerce and been in marketing for that period. We all talk about oh, back in the day it was so easy. You just did this. You just did that. Like, it must really piss off everyone who's new. Um, what would you do now? What would the approach be now? And please don't and please don't just say TikTok.
0: <laughs> no, I, I think it would definitely be like a a hybrid approach out the gate. Like a true now everyone says like omni-channel. For us, like we weren't thinking about retail. We were only thinking about e-commerce D to C. But now I think building like a very strong omni-channel strategy that might start with the first touch of your customer, which typically would be on some type of social media outlet. Like when when anyone tells me about a brand, and or they tell me about something, like the first thing I do is usually look at their website or I look them up on Instagram, and I take a couple of scrolls and I can easily digest or consume. Hopefully, what the brand is about, the products they have Uh, etc etc but then also like pairing that initial digital touch with some type of e-com experience if it works for that brand but also a great focus on retail like how am I how am I building out my retail team am I trying to you know just hire one person um, to start knocking on doors am I as the founder going to be the one starting to knock on these doors do I want to start in the natural channel and kind of Do well in the Whole Foods, the Sprouts of the world, and then use this data of success to get into conventional or, hey, maybe my product doesn't have a Whole Foods compliant label, which, okay, that's fine. Maybe I'm going to start in conventional. Maybe my my channel strategy is focused on C-Store. So I think it's like really figuring out where you want, what do you want your lane to be when you're launching your brand from a retail perspective? and pairing that with a cool, fun, sexy, digital approach. And if you kind of have these, like this marriage between like your digital and then your retail in real life ecosystem, that's where there's that good synergy. Uh, because sometimes you can get a little choppy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely makes sense.
1: Um, you mentioned retail now is, did you say 80% of the business? 80. Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought Truff does a really good job of their advertising, right? Or your, your marketing, great creative. Um, I'm sure that's evolved over time. So with 80% of your business being retail, like what, how do you then think about your marketing efforts? Knowing like, and how do you measure success? Are those marketing efforts primarily to drive awareness at this point around retail? And so there's no like one-to-one attribution of e-commerce sales or do you are you thinking, do you slice it of well, there's brand awareness marketing just for the brand to to help with retail kind of sell through rates and just brand awareness and there's a portion of spend that's still trying to drive e-com success? Like how do you how do you set your marketing up and how do you track its effectiveness?
0: Yeah. So when we were still, I would say heavily focused on acquisition from a direct consumer point of view, but we realized, hey, we're gonna focus on acquisition. We're going to look at you know, our customer acquisition costs. We're going to look at our return on ad spend. We're going to look at the TV, et cetera, et cetera. But we also know there's going to be a small percentage that is indirectly helping our retailer. We don't know exactly what that percentage is, but we could assume our digital efforts are now helping our in-store efforts. You know, how's our business is it has our businesses shifted to where Hey, 80% of our business is now retail. Now we're reallocating dollars that maybe we would have been spending on acquisition and not pulled them off completely. But instead of like guessing, hey, there's probably 20% of this, it's like, okay, let's actually just reallocate that directly to help these retailers. And we could do that through, you know, in store promos. We could do that through certain types of off-shelves we could do that through on platform advertising like on you know Kroger.com or instacart or things like that what's difficult is a lot of these channels don't have a very clean attribution reporting model so for us there's a little bit of a lag on just looking at the raw data that comes in cell through looking at our velocity but there are things that we do that enable us to see a correlation between digital efforts and in-store velocity increases. Uh, It's just not a clean, there's still like real silver bullet. There's just a lot of like little levers that we're trying to pull and that show us our velocities are lifting. Okay. Let's reinvest into those and the ones that, And we might spend 20 grand on this or however much on this. Nothing really does anything. It's it's like, okay, we'll probably not get it. It's probably a good idea to reinvest in something like that. So it's a lot of like testing and learning, but also at the same time, surrounding ourselves with people that know a lot more than us in retail. So, you know, we brought in a VP of sales. His name is Reno. He's an absolute assassin. Uh, he came from Primal Kitchen, and he built out our sales team. And now we have a retail sales team of absolute killers that are just incredible at what they do. And having a lot of very smart people with their finger on the pulse across all of our retailers is, I I would say, been very beneficial. And also looking to the brands that are bigger than us, uh, and. Finding, you know, mentors, people that have kind of gone through this already to give us an insight and enable us to like not take that $100,000 a bet if someone else already took it and they could just say, Hey, don't do that. You know, so just like trying to be very smart and methodical uh, and building out our team with people that know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. How big is the team at Truff? 35, I would say, ish. Okay.
1: Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Surround yourself with people who have been there and done it rather than trying to figure everything out on your own. It's quite surprising if you just put that effort into networking, people will, you know, whether it's someone you hire or whether it's someone who's just open to giving advice. That's one of the better things, right, about social media and this this digital age is accessibility
0: to people is it's a DM away. Absolutely. And like LinkedIn too. I mean, I mentioned... You know, in a in a previous life, I was a a recruiter, but I think a lot of those skills that I learned being a recruiter, recruiting like software engineers and developers, has now allowed me to like understand the needs of an organization and maybe how that person could fit or play a crucial role. And now, like, if I think I need something, I'll just go and start messaging people on LinkedIn. Hey, can I chat? Hey, I want to pick your brain on this. And now I might think I need a whenever and i talk to the person that has the title I'm like oh no i actually need this or i might talk to somebody who's super happy in a role and i tell them for i tell them about a need that we have and they might get excited about coming and working in truck and now it's like this person who's extremely talented that wasn't even looking to move is now willing to come over and join us because they believe in the vision they get really excited about what we're doing and now their skill set is very complimentary to well we can offer that, but also the need them to be high. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: So uh I'm I'm interested to
1: ask you about product development. Because so correct me if I'm wrong, but Trough sauce, it started off as a hot sauce, right? And since then, there's a pasta sauce, there's a mayonnaise, there's the oils. Um at what point did you think, okay, we need to add a secondary product? And then just in general, how do you think about product development and, and additional SKUs?
0: Absolutely. So initially, Nick and I we were thinking about Truff. We thought of a brand like Red Bull or a brand like, you know, Trulubula that has this power skew. Everyone knows that one SKU and you go all in on that one SKU and, and we don't want to be too wide. We don't want to be this platform brand that doesn't really stand for anything. We want to be known as like, luxury hot sauce or like the luxury condiment of choice uh so for us like the blinders were on, becoming just the coolest best most labor focused hot sauce that was on the market and our first product was our original black truffle and then in 2018 we were like hey let's do like a white truffle edition It could be a limited release. Is this this one I' here actually? Uh, we'll do like a limited drop and we'll um sell it, and then once it's gone, it's gone. And then everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, that stuff was amazing. Like, please bring it back." And our customers were just like, "Please bring it back, Please bring it back. So we ended up bringing it back the following year as uh you know a, a skew that would would stay around greeting. And then we got a lot of requests for like, Hey, the original is great, but can you make a hotter version? Like the okay, game? Well, is the hotter sauce. And then we called it the hotter sauce. So we wanted to keep like a very tight knit portfolio on our original hot sauce offerings. We didn't want to do like habanero mango and blueberry and verde and get too wide. We wanted to keep things just one bold stroke. And then as we got into the retail, there was a lot of really exciting opportunities uh, that were brought to us. Like there wasn't a truffle pasta sauce, right? There wasn't a truffle mayo. And there was some really cool excitement around, you know, the truffle hot sauce brand, but what else could we offer? What other amazing products could we create to help fill these other needs in the marketplace? So, you know, we got to work on developing some of these other products like you mentioned our mayonnaise and our manner uh our pasta sauce and we've always told ourselves like unless this is an incredible product the world is never going to see it so we really spent a lot of time thinking about the first time we had druff and the first time someone would taste our pasta sauce or the first time someone tastes our mayo and if that feeling wasn't as good or better of a feeling as the hot sauce produced, then it was going to be a no for us. Uh, Luckily, we ended up developing some incredible products. So our our truffle mayo, we have an original, the spicy, and then we have our truffle pomodoro pasta sauce, and our arrebiata sauce. And um, those products were launched with retailers from the go, as well as our decal. So we had like a nice momentum boost from this e business that we already had to help support these retailers that had launched it. Uh they also launched our, our truffle oil and truffle salt. But things that are very like not way out in the field. It just kinda of stays to that one bold stroke of the Truffle bread. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh it's kind of two things
1: stick out there. You know, that testing of the white is like a limited drop. And like, li- again, a consistent theme is listen to your customer, right? Like you brought it back because it was popular and there's demand for it. You said you launched the hotter one because customers were asking for a hot source. So like just a, you know, always a consistent theme with anyone I talk to. And just, I think something for every brand, every marketer to listen to your customers and in this day and age on social media. You can literally have direct conversations with people and ask what they think, like thinking about that in product development. Obviously, you've got to have your ethos and your, you know, like you said, you have an ethos for what products make sense and it has to be the same level of quality and everything else. But then, you know, testing things and getting customer feedback is also a really good way of influencing to a degree how you think about product development. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Nick, I could probably chat with you for hours, and I'm sure you've got a lot of things to do as well. Um, so, th- again, thank you so much, man, for coming on. Um, huge fan of you and the brands and, and everything else. Let's end it on what are you most excited for uh, for Truff in 2023?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, um, every year we kind of look at Truff as a new version of itself, a version that gets more mature whether that's, you know, the products that we're putting out or the team that we're building internally, the, or these new experiences of somebody gifting dating truck to a friend for the first time. But I think it's just a lot more of that, um, uh, yeah. to, to learn from our mistakes and continuing to improve and double down on everything that we've been doing a good job at. Love it. Amazing. Nick. Thank you so much, mate. I appreciate Thank you. you. I appreciate it. Let's have a, a beer next time beer in uh, Austin. A hundred percent. I'm down. I'm down. Thank you.